This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Hunky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the premiere episode of the Go Big Redcast. I am David Gaspers, welcoming you to the very first show. It's kind of a launch party. I'm with uh, one of my good friends, Matt McGuire. What are you doing, Dave? Good. We're going to be calling Matt Mac. Mac. Remember that, all right? And also with me is Matthew P. Honky. I go by Honky. Honky. What's up, guys? We also will be What's uh, up, man? typically joined by Michael Bloom, known as Boomer. Uh, I don't, I don't think Boomer's on the on the call tonight, though. Honk, you know where he's at? Uh, he called. He had a gallstone. He uh, need to heal it holistically. So um, we're just gonna wing it this week. He'll come back next week. That's gonna be Those painful. Are excruciating. They're Those the worst. Are, they're the worst. Oh uh, well, you know, he'll he'll be he'll be back. All right. That, that's cool. We're going to survive with uh, two of the best and brightest Husker fans out there. And hopefully I'll be well uh, guiding us through some some topics. You know, this is our first show. Wanted to make sure we give our, our listeners a, a little bit of background on uh, who and why we think we actually deserve to do a, a Husker podcast. Uh, because it's an honor, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. And... Uh, I've known these guys for 25 plus years, uh, almost going on 30, and we've pretty much been having this conversation that entire time, um, and that's a pretty amazing thing, and uh, it's it's been going on for a long time, and uh, you know I, I moved out of Nebraska 10 plus years ago now, and uh, we started having emails email chains at least a decade old now, and uh, our text chains are probably f- going on five or seven years. And, uh, you know, over, over that time, we uh, shared our, our insights on Husker football and Husker sports in general with a lot of our friends and family. And uh, a few of them have, uh, have suggested that we should do something like this. And, um, you know, we kind of kicked it around. And, uh, you know, last year I was actually in uh, Shanghai, China uh, during uh, Thanksgiving. And at like about 3 a.m. in a bar in Shanghai, uh, my buddy Skip Stewart, Said, you know, you guys should do a podcast, and I can produce it, and uh, that <laughs> that made a difference. Suddenly, someone instead of just suggesting that we do this, could actually right. help it make it happen. Um, we're extremely lazy. Yeah, we're oh. great fans, but we're oh my very gosh, lazy. nailed it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm a web developer, so I can't do this techie stuff. So thank God for Skip. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, that's the truth. That's what we need. And uh, so here we are, you know, it took us a few months, uh, but we made it. And, um, you know, Honk, why don't you give uh, us your two cents on uh, why the heck we are doing this and uh, why they should listen? Well, you know, I mean, I kind of think of this as uh, this is a fan show from fans to fans. I mean, we're not we don't claim to be the media. We don't we don't want to be the media. We're not former players and, and we're not claiming to be that either. 
But, you know, we have two eyes, two ears. We've watched enough football, and we know what looks good and what doesn't. So I've never had an issue speaking my mind or, or speaking my text, so to speak, over the over the years with you guys. And, That's the truth. And you've read, my, you've read my words, and you've heard my rants, and what the heck, might as well put them to tape, and, and let's let the, the world hear it for years and years to come, right? Or we'll have five people that are listening. Who knows? But whatever the case is, whoever our audience is, we're going to speak our mind, and a lot of times it's probably going to be things that you guys are thinking too. So we're going to be having what, a conversation anyway. It comes from, it comes so from one spot, man. It's go big red. We are fans first, and and even if even if we get furious at something, the one thing we all agree on is no matter what, we want this team desperately to win. We want this state to win. We want we want the Nebraska Cornhuskers to be number one in every sport, and primarily at the end of the day, football. And that's what you're going to hear 95% of the time from this group is football, football, football. Amen. Mac, you want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of further the point of what you guys are saying. Um, we we all three are pretty big consumers of football, you know, just kind of in our habits. You know, we, we search online, you know, we listen to other shows, we listen to, you know, AM radio, we get preseason football magazines, we just consume a lot of football. And then we want to talk about it with people who also consume a lot of football. And it's just kind of fun to talk back and forth because, you know, inevitably, honk, you'll know something that I've, I've never heard. And then I have to wonder if it's true. But then, you know, I find out sometimes it is. I lie a lot. <laughs> yes. No, he does a great job. We have job. a running you know, uh, honky fact checker uh, at some point. That will be yeah, when important, gets especially when honky out, gets angry. That's when the facts start to get a little skewed. But that's for a different time. I'll let you guys judge that. But no, and then, you know, talking about your email chains and your text chains, those are awesome if you're a good typist. And I'm not. So my message is just lost when I try to even, you know, talk texting couldn't save me, you know, at any, so this works out great for me. So the idea of a podcast is to be able to talk with you guys and, and hear you and, you know, cause sometimes tone gets lost in a message. And when I'm being snotty, I want you guys to know I'm being snotty and that comes through so well through the podcast, you know, <laughs> I didn't want you to think I wasn't right, well, let, let, upset. Let, so let's roll, man. Let's do this, man. Let's do this. Hopefully this is the first of, first of many. Back from the Nebraska Football Coaches Clinic, it's Scoring Explosion, the offensive breakdown. We had you guys at the uh, Coaches Clinic last week, so that will come up uh, throughout the show. Uh, and let's start on the uh, offensive side of the ball with our Scoring Explosion. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, with that coaches clinic, Matt and I, Matt, Mac and I have had kind of an ongoing joke here, and it's been going on for we've been going to it for the last fifteen years, and every time that the 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 coaches clinic has come up, we're always like, oh, this is the off season. That's this is the really big one, or the next year it's oh, that's the uh, the coaches clinic that we really want to watch. Well, this year's was a really great coaches clinic to watch. And offensively, it wasn't just because of Diaco and, and the changes on the defense, but obviously offensively, it completely starts with that quarterback position. And so, uh, you know, I think as we'll get into here, what we saw with Tanner Lee and what we saw with O'Brien and even, you know, what we saw with Gavia, I think we saw the starts of, of what Langsdorf and, and Riley really want to see this offense to be. We'll have disagreements moving forward on whether that's the right route to go offensively or what we think is going to ultimately work on the long term here, but make no doubt about it, this offense will look different moving forward with those guys under center than it did with Armstrong under center. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, starting off on the offensive side of the ball, you mentioned the quarterbacks, but I think before we got, get there, let's uh, start with the offensive line because there's, you know, a lot of rumblings going on over the last week here. Uh, and Honky, you've mentioned this multiple times about uh, that. I mean, you, you've said it's not a concern, but then uh, you're concerned about the, the lack of physicality um, up front, uh, especially with the running game. <laughs> that would be a, a running theme in this, this conversation, the lack, the lack thereof of a running game, um, especially last year, and, and uh, Riley's promise of being a top three uh, running team in the Big Big Ten, which uh, Honky's taken personal offense to him not being able to actually deliver that. I've, I've he always appreciated it in that somehow and yelled from a mountain. How dare I, I won't call it a promise, but it was a goal, and it was a failed they, goal they, at the they, very they least. We'll, we'll say that. But I, 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 I call it a promise, and then and then Mac gets all over me for he, he did. It's just a word that means okay, something well, completely different. He said he different. wanted to be in it, and he and he didn't. So I mean, let's start. I mean, I mean, is the offensive line the, the biggest question mark? Maybe even this year going in. I think so. Yeah. I think it definitely is the question mark, um, for a lot of reasons. Like you look on paper. We've got four stars on this line everywhere, and yet we've got a guy like, bless his heart, and I'm not calling out Cole Conrad, but either the guy's a super overachiever, or we're not either recruiting very well, or our coaches aren't doing a very good job of getting our talent coached up. All things are red flags to me, and I haven't seen him prove anything different his time here. I know Cal or, uh, uh, Coach Cav has got a great reputation as an offensive line coach. I just don't know if I've seen it yet. Uh, but to speak to their spring game, I'm not, you know, it's hard to say. They're going against new front defensively, too. They're seeing a 3-4 when they're not very good at that yet, probably. And it sounds like they're doing so much mixing and mashing of, of lineup. It's going to be hard to get chemistry, which is a big, big part of offensive line play. What do you think, Matt? Well, I think at this point right now, there's not any one unit that I'm I'm terrified of uh, talent-wise. I think talent-wise, we're... We're pretty good across the board. And with that offensive line, my goodness, we've got 17 stinking guys. 20% of your entire uh, scholarship team is on that offensive line. If we can't make it work with those guys, um, you know, there's there's some serious issues. Now, here's the thing. I, it's, not just, um, it's not just a player issue here. At some point, if, if it doesn't work with these guys, you start to look at, at leadership. And I'm not immediately jumping on, you know, I'm not saying fire Cav, but I'm saying, my gosh, we've got to make it work with these guys. We have tackles, both starting tackles, pick Nebraska over Alabama. We've got a guy like Jalen Barnett now coming into his third year of the program that was an all-everything kid out of Oklahoma, picked us over Alabama and the rest of the bunch. Tanner Farmer was a you know, everything high school All-American when we got him. If Decker's the center, great. If it's Conrad moving over, great. Raritan, I think, Matt, you and I kind of talked about this when we saw Raritan. We think that kid's going to be a, a solid player, and he's going to get bigger, and he's going to get stronger, and he's a legacy. Yeah, but, um, maybe he looks a, a little away. baby-faced right now. He yeah. he does look a year away. But I, I, I'll go as far to say that, you know, to me, the way this offensive line is, we've seen the last two years where we've kind of have a coach that's a, you know doesn't want to play more than five guys. Well, well, I can tell you what we've got more than five guys that can play. I don't think that Bo Wilson's going to start this year, but if you watch him, I don't think you can, you can really keep him off the field either. There's, they're going to have to find ways to get him on there. And so, if they're trying to find the best five guys, and that's why Cole Conrad's moving over, awesome. But Decker could play too. 
These guys can play. We've got players. Did you um, hear Riley's uh, explanation for that about how he's trying to find the best five football players? And though he might not be the top two in any one position, he is definitely maybe in the top five of the players, and that's why he's getting rotated in. I thought that was kind yeah. of interesting, but it, I didn't know. And that's nothing. And that's nothing new, you know. I mean, you can go back to the '90s with Aaron Taylor playing guard and playing center, or right. or you know when you play a. Uh, Warren Sapp in Miami, you, you flip Joe Wilkes and, and stye around, you know, from left to right. I mean, you're always going to move guys and mix and match. That's That stuff's fine. What I don't want us to get done, get into is that mundane detail thing of, wow, it takes four years, the old Callahan thing, it takes four years to get a guy on the field because they're swimming in the playbook and they can't figure it out. Agreed. We've got, you know, Ohio State could find a way last year to have a, a true freshman from play one of the season start and play all year. We've got to be able to – to get guys, good, talented players, and get them on the field quicker and it, you know where, where necessary. And then other guys, it's okay that it takes a guy three or four years to to really see him be good too. You know, I mean, that was something that was a a, a telling tale of or, you know a trait that Nebraska always did over the '80s and '90s and so on. You built players up, and so you know, in this in this era of rivals, it's like, gosh, we know about these kids since they're they're freshmen in high school. So if they aren't all Americans by their sophomore year in college. What's wrong with them? Well, maybe nothing. But I think that I think we have a great balance blend next year of we've got experience, we've got five guys that have starting experience, we've got size, we've got height, we've got nastiness. What we need is an offensive philosophy that that supports that, and and we'll continue to talk about that throughout the summer. But I'll I'll, I'll just go back to our last game. It still scares the heck out of me that we play a Tennessee defense that had given up 400 yards rushing to the likes of Vanderbilt and Mizzou, and we're not even starting our starting quarterback. We don't even have our top two wide receivers on the field, and yet we, we, don't, we don't stay consistent with something. Now, I've seen us run the ball really well at times over the last two years, and I've seen us really not. And so it becomes almost a moot point who our players are to me. Our philosophy is all over the board, and I – I, and so this will be a recurring theme for me over the next few shows as we, we lead up to the season. But I, I still think that the jury is out on Langsdorf and on this offense as a whole. Just what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Are we trying to throw it 45 times a game and the next time run it 45? Because if, if that's what our offense is going to be moving forward, I'm going to question until I see it work. I'm going to question that being a successful philosophy. Yeah, Honk, you mentioned uh, Perella had a good quote in the, in the paper about um... – about uh, Bruce Lee, about like uh, him saying that he's more concerned about uh, what? guy uh, yeah, who learned it, one it kick at... really well opposed to like <laughs> a ten thousand kicks, right? And it seems it, like it def- the co- defensively, sounds like Diaco and whatnot. I mean, they're they're taking a a, a philosophy that you probably are, are in, in agreement with, but you're saying on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they're all over the uh, over the the offensive playbook still, you know, two years into a, yeah, it was right? it was at the coaches' clinic, and it was when. Uh, 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 Perella was doing his 45 minutes of, of talking about the D-line stuff, but he talked about being the master of something. And so, you know, on defense, instead of maybe going out and trying to teach defense alignment every single trick in the book, because there's an unending number of them, right? You can do swim and spin and, you know, bull rush, and you can go down the list. He's like, I'd rather our guys be a master of one thing. So he brought up Bruce Lee saying that, where Bruce Lee was like, I am more concerned about the guy who's done one kick 10,000 times than the guy who has tried to learn 10,000 different kicks. Basically, that one kick, if you're really good at it, you're going you're gonna to probably be pretty successful kicking me with it. Well, on offense, 
And I'm just trying to look at that, that, you know, the philosophy difference maybe between offense and defense here on offense. You know, it seems like we're trying to be all things to everybody. And on defense, it's amazing how Diaco can come in here in a fairly short period of time by being simplistic, by coaching effort, uh, by really by, by focusing on, on minor, you know, on the finite details of, of very specific things, not trying to throw everything at them, you know, you know, from day one. It's amazing how fast that we can pick up on stuff. And this takes me back to the first coaches clinic I went to, the 2003 one with last one that Solich was here, and it was the one where Pelini was the, the D coordinator. Uh, that was all Pelini talked about his first year, um, or his only year as the DC. He he did an entire talk just on effort, and it was just about getting guys to play hard. And I realize there are differences between offense and defense, and I know offense gets more intricate and everything. You know, defense you can just hit, but but uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, I mean, I think that's a, something that's hurting our offense. I just think we're we're way too multiple right now. I hear I you. Agree. I hear you, Honk. Uh, Mac, um, <laughs> you want to want to counter on that, maybe? And My maybe only point to that is, I, I really feel like the first two years of this offensive system, I'll give at best an incomplete. I think they were trying to mesh too much together. They were dealing with a quarterback they weren't fully capable of understanding how to work him right. And so they never really got to do the stuff that they were comfortable running. So I think that put the running game behind. I think it put the offensive line play behind. You know, those guys were asked to... I think with with what they're planning on doing this year with a well-timed passing offense with with screens being part of it, the draw game being part of it, uh, the quick... Quick outs, the backs being more involved in the run or more in the pass game, excuse me. Um, that'll change how we look on the efficiency level, which will, I think, result in points. I mean, Riley has proven that they can get yards and points with, with Oregon State. I know that's the Pac 12, but he's he's got records on walls for, for these guys. I mean, he not only he's got guys who's got who have rushing records, career rushing records in the Pac 12, but he's got guys with career reception records career passing records. I mean, he's got guys in the Pac-12 all over that record board or all over the record boards and that's that's not nothing, man. I guess I'll, I'll, I won't disagree with you there, but I'll just say Oregon State. I mean, we, t- we give we give Bob Diaco a lot of credit for what he did someplace else and hasn't done anything here yet. Yeah, that's true. Riley well, what, has what done he, some other things. What he did what he did is going to be more um, familiar to us. He had success as a defensive coordinator at a power school like Notre Dame. Um, and that's what we're hoping he can do in the same position at a school like Nebraska. Having records at Oregon State, God bless him. I'm glad he did. Uh, but, you know, the record that matters to me right now is 15-11 and 11 over the last two years. And that's 11 losses where, granted, don't get me wrong, defense was a problem at times, and we think that the defense is shored up or going to be shored up because of the changes. But th- those 11 losses, six of them came because we threw the ball 40 or more times with a quarterback who arguably people said couldn't throw the ball against air in practice. Well, we lost the game six times, throwing the ball 40 or more times. So, again, that becomes a consistency thing. And, and you know, we've had games where we ran the ball really well, and that started to look good. And then we'd come after, you know, against Fresno State. We'd run it 50 sometimes to 13 passes. And it looked, you know, it wasn't exciting, but it was what that team needed to do. And then you have coaches that come out and apologize for a week after that. So I'm just saying it's inconsistent, and I want to see what we are offensive philosophy wise. I agree that it's been inconsistent. Yeah, it's going to be a big. I absolutely this agree. It's been inconsistent. It. And, and, and this year, this year will prove just... what what either what I'm saying or what you're saying. 
You know what I mean? Like this will be the and, yeah. and if they don't come through this year with the quarterbacks that I think that they have that are capable of doing what they say they want to do, and then that should influence the run game the way I think because you know the wide receivers being involved in the in the fly sweep game. I think all of that stuff, if it comes to bear, will be awesome. And I, then I think yeah. that philosophy there, and everything will make yeah. sense. I just don't know if it, that's you know we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but. yeah there's, the, the there's no excuses coming into this next season, and, and that was something that Agreed. we were consistent. That totally. was something we were consistent at the coaches' clinic. We're not here to make excuses. This isn't, uh, you know, it, it gets to the point where it's like I don't want to hear about a lack of depth at this spot or that spot. There's enough depth. There's enough. They have the players at the right spots. Some guys are more experienced than others. But my goodness, this if they're in year three here and we're in the Big Ten West and. And we're not just losing to Ohio State. We're 0-4 against Iowa and Wisconsin, who have kind of out-Nebraska Nebraska the last two years. Last They've two outrun years, yeah. us, out-hit us. So yep. so that's that's where we are. Well, the fundamental change in the offense is, is the QB. Uh, you guys saw Lee and O'Brien and Jebbia uh, uh, throw at the coaches' clinic. Um, is it a legit QB battle here, guys, or is this, this Tanner Lee uh, you know, all over the place? I, I, for me, it's a legit battle in terms of, I, I suppose Tanner Lee could lose the job. You know, if he had a, a couple string of bad practices where he's throwing a bunch of picks, I suppose that's possible. Um, the difference in the two of them is almost, it's it's as obvious as their, their, their game time experience. What Tanner does well that Patrick is still learning is he gets the ball over a dropped backer in a zone so nicely to fit it over that window. He's just he makes, got enough like, throws that most to get college that quarterbacks over. can. Right, he can understands do, right? where the ball, you know, this guy's open. All I have to do is throw the right type of pass. And, you know, gee, he's got just a few more tools in his toolbox to do that. O'Brien though is totally capable of that. He just hasn't he's just not that nuanced yet and and he shouldn't be. He's a, he's a redshirt freshman. I mean, that's stuff that comes with game time playing and 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 lots and lots of reps. And so are we, I, I think uh, that's where Lee has the edge. We're concerned that that Lee uh, has has the uh, enough touch on the deep ball. I know he missed a couple on the on the practice you guys saw the scrimmage. And I'm hearing that I mean he's he's a checkdown king too, right? I mean that's what Riley yeah. wants. But uh, uh, we're a little concerned about being uh, Sam Keller all over again, right? I I would I can only say I hope this is a serious. Uh, uh, quarterback battle that's going to go well into the fall. I really hope it is. Not because I dislike Lee. There are elements each quarterback bring to the game that, that the other one doesn't have. I mean, uh, you can argue that O'Brien has more experience than Lee. He's gone through a second you know, spring ball in this system. You can argue that it's he true. has some experience there. But obviously, you can't discredit the fact that Lee started for two years at Tulane. Now, you know, I'm looking at his stats here, and he's got 23 touchdowns and 21 interceptions. You know, that's something right off the right off the bat that, you know, before we crown this guy the next Heisman or claim that he's going to be a one and done, he may need to improve upon that. You know, he's got, you know, a, a completion percentage, you know, basically of about 53% over the first year. The urban so legend of Tanner looking, Lee has been pretty impressive over the last six months. Yeah, I mean, this is, the, I mean, this is the greatest player that none of us had ever heard of before he came here, know. you know, I mean, in Billy all honesty. Let's, let's not, best, best Billy DeVanny – Billy Devaney's yeah. evaluation of talent, though, Matthew, I'd say is pretty solid based on his career. I'll take I, what he says. is pretty good. I mean, I, he, I, you know what I mean? I, and you sure, heard that and, from and, Archie Manning, and if, who's and also a pretty good evaluator of talent. of talent. 
You're I mean, right. I, I understand if you want to throw his Tulane stats out, that's about as fair as throwing Riley's Oregon State stats out. I'm I throwing guess. a lot of things out. Tanner Lee was a two-star, and, and I know we love getting into star games, but Tanner Lee was a two-star coming out of high school, and you've got... O'Brien was a you know elite eleven four star out of California. So the man who his, doesn't believe his, in the star system throws out that Tanner Lee was I a hate two the star, star system, great, and you great. and every every listener will figure that out. I hate it, but I'll use it against you know the, the <laughs> rivals. You'll those, use it when it's to your advantage. In, I will exactly. use it any time against people that sit Classic. there and say, "Well, why is it? What, you know, why should this guy start? Well, geez, he's the big four star kid, isn't he? It's a it should be a competition. Be, it, for no other if reason, they were both freshmen. I totally agree with it you. It should be a competition because neither of them have accomplished squat here. And so, to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't discount anyone. I think Gebbia can be involved in the darn thing if he had to be in. And actually, Madam Mac, I'm kind of curious even what your thoughts were. Just watching each quarterback do something, and you were 100 percent right. By the way, Lee completed certain passes and dropped certain things into some zones that. Um, Right or wrong, O'Brien wouldn't even try. One right. of the things I thought Gebbia, of all things, did the best out of all of them, he looked the best throwing on the run. Not that any one of these three guys are going to become, you know, Tommy Armstrong runners, but when, no, when they would actually that's a break point, the though. pocket, Gebbia, man, that guy was comfortable throwing on the run. And you know who Lee reminded me of a little bit? He reminded me of, and oh my gosh, for, I, I forget the name. Uh, is it Rosen? Who's the UCLA QB? Josh Rosen. Oh, Rosenberg. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, and it was like the percentage difference between Rosen in the pocket versus once he got out. That is yeah. what Lee reminded me of a little bit of. Keep him in the pocket, and holy smokes, Lee will complete that 70 percentage that, that, that you want, and he'll complete yeah. touchdowns. You move him out of the pocket, and I'm starting to look at, at Tulane stats, and I'm like, uh-oh. That, that's what, that's what kind of happens there. O'Brien's that's a good point, a and that's style something of guy. to watch, too. He, O'Brien's bigger. He kind of – O'Brien reminds me – of a of a Tim Tebow, you know, Brian's a big dude, size kind of kid Barf. with oh, with a better arm size wise. I <laughs> size. That sounds like the worst scenario ever. I mean, considering what what <laughs> Brian wants to do, let's get the Tim Tebow. No, let's, uh, let's wrap. The, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. I'm looking forward to uh, every conversation going into the first game of the year. But uh, wrapping up uh, scoring explosion. Let's uh, talk about offensive stars uh, of uh, the coaches' clinic scrimmage that you guys saw. Mac, I'll start with you. Top guy that you were impressed with offensively uh, that you saw in person. Um, okay, well, let's take the quarterbacks out of it because that's, you know, just everybody's been talking about that. Um, one thing that I really liked and was impressed with, I know we've heard a lot about checkdowns, and this is going to be a checkdown dink and dunk offense, but it does involve the tight ends a little bit more. And Hoppus looked really good. Uh, he got a lot of action in that first series we saw. Caught everything. Caught a deflection. He looks athletic. You know, he looks like it looks like this would have been a great year to have Seaton Carter back. But oh well, Hoppus is ready to play. You know, and he's a senior, so he's he's got not a lot of game experience, but um, he's developed. It looks like he's primed and ready to play. I. Uh, so Dude, that's, like for me, it. I know that's not a super hot pick, but, I mean, kind of cool, though. It could be interesting. Walk on, though, right? That's that's Yeah. And that's a place that you should right be up, in Nebraska. Right up Honky's Alley, man. Well, I'll Absolutely. tell you, you know, Honky, speak, well, who's speaking your... of walk-ons, speaking of walk-ons, number 48, Neilan Smith, Neil's, uh, Neil's son. That's right. Wide receiver oh, kid yeah. comes in there. And he, made, yeah. he made a couple nice passes against air, you know, before the – or made a couple nice catches against air before How the do you scrimmage. catch against air? I don't understand. It. He's that Please fast. explain to me, Coach. Yeah. 
Well, you know that you, you hear that all the time. That you know, oh my gosh, we're completing all these passes against air. Isn't it it's always like, against air? I'm confused. Sometimes well, hydrogen, against, but that's dangerous. Yeah, when you go against defense, it's defense and air, and, and sometimes it's that oh, defense the that defense makes it is added to, in now to look good. Yeah. Well, but, is that is that is Neil Smith? Neil your Smith made a couple nice catches, and then he made a nice catch on a on a slant pass with actual defensive players and air around him. So that was a really nice thing to see and. Um, and he's one of those guys, as we talk about wide receiver depth and as we get into that later on, um, you know, he's a player that nobody's talking about, but he's a, a 6'3 redshirt frosh, and, and you know what? He's just he's another guy to, to add to the mix. Yeah, yeah and he's right, something so that we kind out. of I'll, – I'll, I'll throw – but he'll, I'll throw him out as a, at least one of the guys that, you know, I thought stood out pretty nicely in that scrimmage. Nice, nice. Throw the bones, the defensive breakdown. All right, we are throwing the bones on the Go Big Redcast. Uh, black shirts. This is black shirts. This is our, our defensive segment, talking all things defensive football. And, uh, you know, this year is a big change uh, with Nebraska uh, defensive schematically. Uh, Mark Banker out in the 4 3, 4 3, something we've been having. With uh, Nebraska football since the early '90s, when Charlie McBride switched to it, um, and led to a few few positive things like you know national championships and you know college football hall of famers. Uh, but uh, times change, things things evolve. The three four is uh, back in vogue, uh, not only in college but very very um, popular in the NFL. And um, have Bob Diaco, Bobby D. Uh, running this thing uh, for us. Uh, excited to have that, that type of talent level at the uh, D.C. position. Um, what have, what would you guys first see uh, out there at the uh, coaches' clinic? I've heard there's a lot of positive vibes out there, a lot of energy on that side of the ball. Seems like all the assistant coaches have really taken to it really well, even not the ones that you know are accustomed to coaching the 3-4, uh, including you know Bray and Perella. Um, uh, is there any negatives right now at all on the defensive side of the ball with this move? Well, well, are there any negatives with it? First answer to that would be no. I mean, I don't know how any compared to what we were doing and what we saw the last well, time this I'll, defense was out. I'll rephrase that though, Honk. When you first or, you know heard that Riley you know, had fired Banker, uh, you were probably excited. But then you heard three four, and you probably expressed some concerns, right? You know the 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 gap um, the difference between one gap to two gap, the physicality, et cetera. So I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, I was I was concerned. Um, you know, the the skeptic in me was like, well, can we hold up in a in a three four? You know, in a rugged defense, you know, rugged offensive league like the the Big Ten, can we can we hold up and not have that extra D lineman and all that? And then then I took a second and thought about it and said, well, Wisconsin seems to be doing okay in their three four. So schematically, it really doesn't matter for in a four three, a three four, a two nine. Who cares? Are you playing with effort? Are you, tackling, are you tackling well? You know, there's a lot of those things. I think what what Diaco brings immediately, he brings energy, he brings you know passion to these guys. They were, if nothing else, they won the sideline versus the offense. I mean, they were pumped, and these guys, it was details down to how they run off the sideline and into the huddle, and how they break. And I mean, he, it was all about energy. And I thought the other thing is those coaches. I mean, I listened to Perella talk. I listened to. Um, Elliot and I listened to Diaco on the defensive side, and they're using the same language. They're talking about block destruction. They're talking about 
you know, getting off of blocks and uh, disengaging, and they use the same words. I mean, these this doesn't feel like a staff that's brand new and hasn't been around each other. And I will say this too, and this is, I, I can be guilty of, of being, you know, skeptical about stuff. And this is where Mac and I get in arguments. But I'll tell you what, it is hard not to be rose-colored glasses about this defensive staff. As many question marks as I have about the offensive staff, this defensive staff, Perella coaching that D-line, Bray coaching that those linebackers, what we think uh, Dante Williams will be as a cornerback coach, what Diaco brings with being a former Broyles Award winner and all the all the accolades. You threw he has. out that you thought it was the best. And then uh, Elliot. Elliot's the Elliot is the guy. He is the dark horse, and 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 we'll talk about him a little bit here. The best but, uh, defensive coaching staff Nebraska's had since '94. Is that what you said? I'll earlier? say since I remember hearing I, that. I'm as happy with with this core. They they have and to that's prove all that it. matters. They have to prove it. It's hype right now a little bit, but I'm as happy with this defensive staff as I have been since we had Tony Samuels and and. Uh, Kevin Steele, along with, of course, McBride and Darlington. That is how good I think this staff is. It's a solid staff. It, this is a really solid defensive staff across the board. And these guys are really experts at what they do. Like, you look at Prello and you go, yeah, he's a D-line coach. And Bray, wow, he can really coach linebackers. And, by the way, Diaco's coaching linebackers with him in this transition. And, you know, I think – I think uh, uh, Williams can really coach those corners, and he's wearing cleats, and you know, and he's getting on the field and teaching those guys hands up. And then you look at it and you go, "Well, we need a little bit more balance on this staff. Maybe, maybe we're a little too green behind the ears. Maybe we need some experience." Oh, here's this Elliott guy who's 63 years old and has coached, been a defensive coordinator at at Iowa and at Kansas State, and this guy has been around. It's a to me, it is a perfectly built staff. Very impressed, and um, and. To Riley's credit, he brought these guys around. You know, I mean, he also had to fire three of his original four coaches he hired on defense to get to this point. But, but he got to the point. And that's this is a good staff. No, I think that's a really, really uh, good point in the sense that if you think about Riley at this stage in his career, um, I mean, to make the jump to Nebraska from Oregon State was one thing, um, and I mean, he, and he brought a lot of guys uh, along. But to make these changes in two years, um, I think the urgency is there for for him professionally, and uh, the defense has to has to really bring it to to make this uh, this Riley regime work. Uh, it, it's interesting to me to to hear the the amount of enthusiasm on the defensive side of the ball, and and to, I w- wonder what it was like, say just like last year, I guess, um, under Banker, or even a couple years ago under Pliny. And like their their coaching styles, like I would think that Pelini would have had really enthusiastic defensive practices as well. But it was it, was it just different? You know, I'm going to go back to the staff here, and I and and Mac, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too. But I'll go back to the staff. I think under Pelini, it was just it was not a well balanced staff. Who was the DC? Was it was it Papuchas? Was it you know? Yeah. It, it, it After Carl left, I mean, there was no one that would check. After Carl home, left, so. and and. That was, you know, that is that's another topic for another day. Because when Carl left, I mean, there were options that Pelini could have done to bring in a guy like, you know, Ron Zook or whatever, somebody that could have brought something different to the coach's room, but he didn't. And he really had some yes men, and he had defensive guys that were. Kaczynski was actually a great defensive coach to bring in on the D line. We just didn't need a guy like that at that time. We needed a guy that had some experience. And I'll be the first one to throw up my hand and admit that when, when I heard about Daniel Bullock's being here on signing day, I was so excited. I was like, my gosh, a second black shirt 
that could be coaching on the defense. Like we, <laughs> I, you, you can't miss. Like, please hire this guy. And as much as I love the, the, the thought of Daniel Bullock's being here, and he still can be. You know, he can be here in a year or two if, if uh, Dante Williams moves on and becomes a D.C., which I think he could be. Um, but we didn't need Daniel Bullock's right now. We needed Elliott. We needed a guy that didn't need to be taught the defense, but that could teach the defense. And and I couldn't be – this is where I'm – I'm gushing with excitement here. I think – when you, you want think to talk of, about it right now, Matt uh, Honk? Can you can you hold off any longer, or do you need to talk about the man crush that you have on Bob Elliott? Oh, Bob Elliott, I mean, man, that guy. I mean, I he is he is the nephew of Pete Elliott, so he has a Husker tie. I didn't that, go to the coaches' clinic to find love with a sixty-three-year-old man, but is I it true. Is I, it true I, that you had an intimate? pork chop dinner with Bob Elliott at the coach's oh, I had a great pork chop dinner with Bob Elliott and it was after oh a few it was after a few beers so I'm sure you know it's I'm Just sure Bob the, Elliott so was very impressed, impressed with, with me. you but but no he was first off it's when he smelled the breath that he got his first clue of what he was dealing with as Matthew squared him completely in his sights <laughs> it's like oh no I thought I was just going to say hi to this guy and he just like locked in on me and now I'm not going to be able to enjoy this poor chat. I was sitting so an first, hour later. What I was Bob sitting Elliott first, and he sat at my table. So you know, no. And here's the thing: this guy was Fair. he was so welcoming, and I mean, he you know he sat there and chatted for 10, 15 minutes. But that was on top of the fact that you know when I I was already the man crush had begun after just watching him talk for his 45 minute segment. And one of the reasons was I think if you you paid attention to the media back and. February as he was getting hired on you almost got this impression that this guy's on his deathbed you know he's 63 but he's had he's had some illness before and you know gosh you know maybe he'll be here for a year or two hell no man this guy number one he brought energy he brought you know experience he brought enthusiasm this guy he ran his clinic which was the 45 minutes talking about safeties he ran it like a guy that knew what he was doing this wasn't this isn't a newbie coach out there and uh, he told some good stories about when he was with Hayden Fry in Iowa. This guy is exactly 100% what this staff was lacking and needed. And so, you know, again, th- now the, the defense could be horrible next year, right? I mean, you know, it, it's all about proving it, right? I'm, 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 I'm building up some hype here about a, a staff we've never seen coach a game. But I'm telling you, I'll th- I'll, I'm willing to throw that hype out there. That's, that will be one of my first initial things I'm going to throw out about next season. There's three elements of a of of the football team: offense, defense, and special teams. And I can't conceivably see us being worse at two of those, and that's special teams and defense. That they, they've got to improve by that's default. And, and and so Bobby we should D's be better there. Punting, that's right? a fair bet. That's a pretty fair bet. Yeah, and we still could have a worse record because our offense could be you know a mess. I mean, there's a lot of things that 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 I go into getting better be than worse. nine and three and and winning winning you know the West, but. But um, but gosh dang man I I am I am bought in on this defense I absolutely am. That's exciting. That's good to hear, man. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's hear a little bit more about what you guys actually saw on the field um, at the scrimmage, and maybe just what you've been you know reading uh, online and and everything else defensively. You know the D line's been getting a lot of positive press. Um, even Stoltenberg, who I mean, just you think he's. he's probably too tall to, to fill that nose tackle position seems to have really bulked up hearing lots of positive things about uh, the linebacking core uh, sort of the depth there the second unit someone like Mo Berry is just uh, having a great great spring uh, what are you guys excited about from a defensive star perspective well I, I think you've already kind of mentioned it there I think 
across the board, we have more depth almost instantly moving to this this scheme. You you can argue that we are built on day one better to be a 3-4 defense than a 4-3 with the current players we have. Yeah, it's really um, interesting. And, and you know, I, I can bring it, you know, historically I could bring up, you know, when we would play a team like Wisconsin in the championship game a few years back, you know, we were down to a point where Cameron Meredith was starting at D-tackle for us because roster management, which is something we'll hear a lot about and what Billy Devaney plays a role in, we didn't have, you know, as much depth at certain positions. And under Pelini, that was a real failure of him. We didn't have certain positions as deep as they needed to be. Well, right now, coming out of the – just out of the, the, the start with this defense, we're going to have Stoltenberg and, and Khalil at, at nose tackle. We're going to have Carlos and Newell at the at the – the wide side DN, the field DN, the boundary DN, you're going to have uh, Neil and, and Freedom. We're too deep before we even bring in freshman guys that could redshirt or maybe play third team and give you some more depth. Our linebacking core really goes eight or nine players deep, and our secondary is about eight or nine players deep. There is, and 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 they look the part. I mean, I I've heard a lot about you know uh, Stoltenberg being six five, and is that a detriment or whatever? My goodness, I'm not seeing him get pushed out of the way, and if he can hold his ground. That six five becomes a real positive because I'll take that extra height. I'll take an occasional knockdown pass across the middle, if possible. And if we can get one knockdown pass out of, of Stoltenberg next year, that's one more. And I think our whole D line got last season. Yeah, Mac, uh, who who are you impressed with out there? Uh, I was I was pretty impressed. I, I as opposed to just one player, um, kind of like what Hawk was saying there, just the general depth. Was was impressive, you know. Like we went to the second string, the line, the second string linebacking crew, they were really impressive. Those guys, you know, those guys have me excited for the future, and maybe not the distant future either. I really feel like between Ferguson and Barry, they are going to push for time. And Gifford, I, he's he's really explosive. You know, in the drills, he always flashed to me. And I don't know when he gets out there and plays, he seems like he knows where he's going. Really. Really, really impressed with that group. Uh, secondary, about... too. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to ask Mac about the the linebacker, the the three four switch. The, the the question mark I have with that that uh, that linebacking core is then the the um, outside linebackers that were defensive yeah. ends, right. right? That's still still like it's confusing to me to think that Cedric King is suddenly a, a linebacker, right? Um, right, and if, it, and if I was going to pick a spot, that would be the one I'd say. And I, I've even heard Diaco say it too. That that position's got the longest way to go before we're proficient enough to, to kind of know what we have. You know, uh, I would say that Steely I thought looked good in the scrimmage. I mean, he he really looked athletic dropping into coverage. Now that doesn't mean he can stop the run, but it's I mean there was an element to it that he looked he looked pretty good at. But that you're right that that position there with King. Um, Steely and uh, who's the other guy I'm missing, Matt? Honky. That's the that's the the boundary outside linebacker yeah. or the the yeah the boundary one. That's um, Alex Davis. Alex Davis, yes. Geez, I was okay. Yeah. So yeah, those guys probably have the most work to do, probably the most to learn, but they're all athletic. I mean, as far as like size, mold, athleticism, they're there. It's just a matter of learning, you know. Yeah. And secondary it's not wise, the hardest position to learn. Secondary wise, we've seen Kalu. Uh, move over to safety, which frees up a uh, corner spot for Lamar Jackson. 
Um, that sounded like that's probably going to be a, a, a permanent move. I mean, Riley's saying he really likes that. Is that is that definitely? I mean, Lamar was a, a highly regarded four star, probably worth trying to get the guy on the field. Um, Kalu's a senior, right? So, I mean, this is a pretty late move for him. But you think that's the right combination? And who who else is uh, showing up in the secondary? I, I would. I mean, is it the right move? It's it's the right move if if Jackson's ready to play corner because we know Kalu could play corner there. Um, I think obviously similar to what they're doing with Conrad on the O line. I think they're trying to get their best four on the secondary, and so if that's what they feel, if they feel that Jackson's a guy, certainly again he comes with all the accolades. You know he could be. I know they like his height at six two, six three, um, but I'll tell you what that safety that safety position. Holy smokes! Before JoJo Doman went down this last week, I I would have told you I think JoJo had a real ch- he was going to be hard to keep off the field. And so it's unfortunate that yeah, he has lost, a six-month injury. Lost for the season for an ACL, right? Well, he's lost for six months, so here we are in April. That means he should be coming back, you know, early well, he's October. Got a shirt, so there's no yeah, way. he has a red shirt no available red shirt to him. him. I, yeah, be long odds considering the depth that you're talking about but there. I mean, Kieran Williams, about Kieran Aaron Williams, Williams, like being Antonio on the bench, and, and the guy was a black shirt and, and made plays all over the field last year. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Some guys have disappeared. And other guys, you know, rising to the top, which is fine. That's football. That's competition. You know, I like that actually. Yeah. It's encouraging to me, and I think it's showing you the, the the fresh set of eyes that some of these new defensive coaches are bringing. And yeah. whatever, if you're going to play, you're going to have to prove it in practice. And you know, the other thing is, these guys have to keep in mind is injuries happen all the time. We have depth right now, but we're not playing anybody right now. You know, as soon as yeah. you get through fall camp, people are going to go down. And we're going to need all those guys. So I hope none of them are wasting time pouting. And I haven't really heard that, so I'm not trying to say that's what I've heard. But those guys, if it, if they understand and realize that they could be a play away, we should be all right. We should be really good. Oh, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we saw, too, in that scrimmage, and what I, what I want to call it, it was the real scrimmage that we got to watch. Because I kind of felt bad. I was paying attention yesterday to the, to the Saturday scrimmage after the one we went to, and I'd pay attention like the Sean Callahan's and Sipples, and you could just tell how disappointed they were that that, that scrimmage, there there wasn't the tackling. I mean, they, they literally weren't tackling. And we got to see real football. Now, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of mix and matches of, of, of personnel, and so it was kind of hard sometimes to get a real good feel for how good the offense or defense was in certain spots. But we were watching tackle to the ground defense, and, and uh, you know, there was a comment yesterday I think Riley made about how the – uh, it was something along the lines of the running game looked better, although we weren't tackling. And I'm looking, I'm reading that, going, that doesn't that even possible, make sense. Right? You know, that's like that, that that I can't comprehend what that means. That we looked better running the ball, but we weren't tackling on defense. I mean, that's that's Kenny Wilson running in shorts and breaking 85 tackles and touch, you know, and touch football. So um, we that got to watch that scrimmage. We got to watch a physical uh, scrimmage. And if they weren't physical, believe me, I probably. I probably wouldn't be as bullish as I was right now because I, I made a point to say I'm not going to be. This is not about just hype. Hype machine is, is not this going is through. Not about this hype. Year. This is about you know I want to see it with my eyes, and I did see a really physical scrimmage. I, I give Riley all the credit in the world there. I saw I saw physical practice. I saw the offense at times. I thought was physical, and I thought the defense was physical. And I I saw some bur- some tackles being broken. Like Matt, that Mac, that first play. Um, Gosh, I almost missed it because it, you know, it was right away. But they they did a nice about fifteen yard run to, to Trey Bryant, and he looked he looked sharp. I mean, it was off to the yeah. left and it was under center and yeah. and you know th- that was 
he he looked good there defensively. We've lined up. By the way, we're, they're still a four three. This isn't only three four. They they've got you know elements of of different defenses in there, and I don't think we're giving away any trade secrets there. I was trying to pay a little bit of attention to how much we'd be under center and under in shotgun, and you know they're trying to do some things. You can tell right now at least fifty fifty ish. So those elements yeah, are so still there. But just in general, it was it was good football. I was I walked away from that scrimmage really impressed. And I've been I've seen a lot of those scrimmages and those 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 spring settings and those those coaches clinics, and that was one of the better ones I saw. And I I, I will go back to the biggest difference between the offense and defense. I thought was what Diaco brought in terms of energy sideline. You expect that sometimes out of defense, but that that defense there's going to be a i think there's going to be a, a a 2003 kind of change defensively what what Pelini was able to bring in 03 i think you're going to see diaco and staff bring that in 17 Matt, did, I love it. did Mohammed Barry jump off in his performance to you i mean we weren't we weren't standing next to each other during the scrimmage but i'm just kind of curious i mean we've all read about him but sure. did, did he stand out to you during the scrimmage I would say between him and, and JoJo, and then just the D line in general. I thought the D line, yeah, those guys. He, he stood out for me too. Yeah, I mean, there's. I don't see any difference at all between Ferguson and and Barry and Young and uh, and uh, Weber in the in the mid, in the middle. Those inside backers, they're all right. they're completely interchangeable in my mind. And Barry, you know, he's another one of those guys where it's like, well, gosh, what? Why is he so far behind? Or what's been wrong with him? Well, nothing. He's a third year sophomore he's a redshirt sophomore and he's just now physically yeah, he used to be okay can, he's gonna be for a guy yeah. to have a little time you before he, you know it was like loser you know <laughs> like well you know sometimes these guys take a little time to get their size on right be able to move around with it and then know a defense he's got some I'm, eric johnson exciting i think he's got some oh, eric johnson nice. to him he's built like himself that. into that style of backer now which was come Love here at 205 it. 208 and before you know it, you're about 233 to, you know, 230, and he's got some size on him. And that's the thing, that's too. That's my when, freshman year. When, <laughs> when, when, we were, when we were switching to the 3-4, my initial fear was we're going to get smaller and we're going to get, you know, plowed over. And the reality is the way that they're reshaping these guys' bodies to where we're going to have DNs that are 275 kind of on the on the boundary side and 300 on the, on the field side, and that nose tackle is going to be 300-plus, and all these linebackers are going to be another 20 pounds up. We can switch and lose alignment and maybe get bigger still in this three four. So, so I, I'm not mm-hmm. as I don't nearly have the concerns that I, I initially had when I heard we were going to be making that switch. I I think we'll we'll hold up well against the run. Yeah, I do it's too. good. It's good. You're listening to the Go Big Redcast, and now Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, we are uh, hitting uh, our next segment, which is where we put on our scarlet-colored glasses. This is Husker recruiting and all things Husker program, really. This will be a segment where we kind of kind of touch on overall uh, philosophy and management of uh, the program that we uh, love so much. And uh, a big part of that, obviously, is, is how we're recruiting and bringing players in um, to the system. Uh, and you know, this has been a, a, a hot topic for us, I think for quite a while, especially under Riley, because, uh, you know, when Riley got hired and I remember talking to honky and, uh, I was like, you know, I, I kind of see how he's gonna, how, how Bo almost was, um, so, uh, against the, um, 
uh, was so negative to the uh, the interest of the Nebraska fan base uh, that that Riley could be with his kind of like feel good mentality, flip that around and actually use the energy of the Husker uh, nation to actually help the recruiting uh uh, process right um, to prove to to folks that uh, bought into to Bo's statement that it was really hard to get people to uh, Nebraska uh, and 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 change that um, mentality um, and at the same time Riley was well known at Oregon State for um, uh, having some success with walk-ons and and doing some good in-state recruiting uh, we we've talked a lot about the in-state recruiting uh, philosophy of, of Riley. And just this last cycle, uh, there was a pretty good haul of Division One recruits uh, in Nebraska high schools, uh, and we ultimately got um, uh, three or four of those guys. Um, and and one of them was Chris Walker, uh, a lineman out of uh, Lincoln Northeast. Is that right, guys? And Lincoln East. Uh, he was generally a two-star guy, but did not get offered till very late. Only after a couple of um, five, four or five-star guys did not choose Nebraska on national TV uh, at the U.S. Uh, Army All-Star Game. Um, and you could, you could argue that the, the coaching staff, um, if, if Chris Walker was good enough to get that scholarship, should have had that offer on the table months beforehand. Um, and you could also argue that uh, when you're after um, the number one or two offensive tackle in the entire country and you only have a limited amount of positions, you have to manage those offers um, uh, uh, accordingly, uh, you know, Honky, let's talk through recruiting philosophy and what you think works best for Nebraska, which is unique. It's not, we recruited at a national level, uh, and, uh, a lot of, uh, pundits out there in the national, um, you know, media always make this big deal about how we don't have enough population here. And like somehow, apparently we did have a population during the sixties, seventies, eighties and nineties, right? We've always been a recruiting national. Yeah. Stuart Mandel said we we won't get back to to prominence again because of that. Look, we may not get back to prominence, but it won't be because of that. It would be because of, of lousy coaching and, 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 and go from there. I mean, that's that we've got, we've got the facilities, we have the fan base and the, and the resources. That's never going to be an issue. And I love how suddenly we became a small state, you know, like apparently, you know, Nebraska, it's just now yeah, we shrunk over the last, the last four decades. Yeah. Right? In the last 20 years, we suddenly lost our mountains and our oceans that we had for the 40 years that Devaney and Osborne sold the place. Now I agree 100% with what you're saying about Riley. He is, if nothing else, he's just made us feel better about ourselves again after the the, the Pelini era. And I believe I was the Pelini guy until the last minute. I, I you know I I can argue I can honestly say I didn't want the guy gone until after he left and then said things and then I was like okay you should probably go. But but you know what he made a, a, he made what the elements of the tough job tougher. I mean it's you have to bring kids here and you have to bring them further than maybe other schools have to. So that part can be tough, but it's not impossible. We do have roads and we have airports and, you know, and, and there are certain, you know, you can bring people to the to the state. So, but I love how, you know, suddenly Nebraska became a small state. Suddenly Nebraska didn't have population. All those things, that's the thing that's going to keep us from being great. Well, well, we've had those issues all along. And what you need to have is you need to have a, a staff that, that sells the things that, that are strong about the place and, and the things that are tough about, you know, getting here. Well, you you, you nullify those a little bit. You say, hey, come in the night before instead of the morning of. You know, whatever it is, find a way to get the kids here. And 
I know, Mac, you're going to talk a little bit about this, but things like the spring game, it doesn't seem like it's been that challenging to get for this staff to get these kids here. They're getting them here. That's the start. That doesn't mean they're signed, but it gets them on campus, and that's a pretty good start, and they're doing a really good job of that. Honky, uh, let's talk about in-state numbers a little bit and the walk-on program in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, I think it varies from year to year on how much in-state talent is out there. Uh, but I feel like I've heard you say that it's like, you know, we should offer the top three to five kids, um, in state almost, you know, regardless of how else anybody else is recruiting them. Or, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I guess I take a little, little of an issue with like the, the presumption that they we should recruit in-state kids differently than anybody else. Well, right? we have, hey, Walker- Dave, we have been recruiting them differently. We we haven't been giving them the benefit of the same doubt that we would give other kids from other. Well, places. I don't know about that. Yeah, absolutely, there are kids. There are kids in, in the state of Nebraska that are six four and two forty, and they run this certain speed, and they don't get the same. Uh, uh, they don't get the same airplay. They don't get the same dedication sometimes that a 6'4", 240 kid with the exact same speed, but that comes from Louisiana or California or whatever gets. A kid that's yeah, from... Yeah, but Matt, you're assuming a kid that like, a kid like Jalen Bradley can based have... Based off of rivals. A kid, a kid like Jalen Bradley can be academically troubled, and that keeps us from, from offering a, a scholarship to him. But a kid like Elijah Blades, who I'm glad we have, don't get me wrong, but he comes from California, he's academically troubled, and there's no concerns with offering him a scholarship. My point is what I think with scholarship and numbers, let's just use an average class of, let's just say, 20 kids. So if every recruiting class was 20 kids, I look at it and go, I think 10 out of every 20 kids should come from the 500-mile radius. And if you take, and then there's going to be 10 that are outside of that. And then if you take the 10 that are coming from the 500-mile radius, half of that on any given year, five of those kids should be Nebraska kids. Okay, I mean, that's just, now, are those hard set numbers? Wow, of course that's not. high. Well, we just offered four, and we could have offered kids that also went to Wyoming and kids that went to, you know, other. Oh, I mean, there's other. I'm saying. <laughs> we got to scourge of all Wyoming our Wyoming and you know, Ohio. I hate, to go, I hate to go back to the 90s here, and I'd hate to sit there and say that, you know. It's, I can it's look, good because it's irrelevant. Well, no, it's not irrelevant. I can, I can tell it you is right for now that right I now, would challenge that this staff. Irrelevant. This staff wouldn't offer a Keneally out of, out of out of high school. They wouldn't offer a Raymakers, Engelbert, a Chad Kelsey, a Mike Anderson, a Phil Ellis, an Ern Sweeney, a Tony DeBelin, a Chris Williams, or Dishman, Lee Brothers, Zaska Brothers, Ho- uh, Hochstein, Carpenter, Vershan Jackson, Matt Davison, Cluster Johnson, Damon Bang, Clinton Childs, Corey Schlesinger. You th- you're saying do they wouldn't have offered guys, any of them? Do any of those guys get a scholarship offer coming out of high school to come to Nebraska? Now, they would have offered a, a Calvin Jones. Sure. They would have offered Clinton Childs would have. a Mon Green. They would have offered a Scott Frost. Clinton Childs would, would have, have offered one. David Eric, Benning would have gotten Eric one. Eric Anderson. The Kelsey think, brothers would have gotten one. You think, I mean, Jurgens okay, got one from Beatrice as a sophomore. You're going to tell me these guys aren't looking at Nebraska talent? Are you, t- are you, He's a are sophomore you comparing these when he got guys, his offer? These guys, are you comparing a guy like Chad Kelsey who was basically. You to know, Cameron Jurgens. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so That's a, a perfect Jurgens model. That, what I'm telling you is Cameron Jurgens is a and he got four offered. star, four star, big time guy. That's he's played the game. He's gone to all the camps. He has the right schools going after him, and that's how these guys end up getting offers right now. So I'm telling you that the Amon Greens would have got offers. You're telling me the, that's the, how the Cameron Jones Jurgens would've. got his the, offer. The Scott Frost, the Tim Ritters, you know the uh, oh the the kid from Southeast that ended up going to Notre Dame. I can't, uh, Ty Good. Those kids would have oh, yeah. got offers yeah. today. 
these other kids that I just mentioned, sure every one of those guys, of they would have been the dangle, they would have been the David Inglehops, they would have been the Chris Webbers, that maybe you get an offer if everyone else says no. So earlier Dave asked the question that I don't think we should be recruiting yeah. these guys differently. I'm telling you we're recruiting them differently. We're waiting until everyone else says no before we offer most of these kids. Unless you are right. unless you are the Jurgens or the one or two kids that, that will offer you up front. So let me, let me, I do let think me interject that here. Which is exactly the right Look. philosophy, isn't it? Get the best players first and I then... I don't think so, necessarily. If a kid is in-state and he's deserving of a scholarship, Why? if Chris Weber's deserving of a scholarship, and I think he was, I was saying that back in October, November when I was watching him, I think the kid is deserving of a scholarship. I don't think we need to wait. I think Inglehop, when I saw him play against Skoda's in the Class Didn't C championship game... I. I sat there and I said, Inglehop, why is this guy not getting a Nebraska scholarship? That kid is deserving. But he got of a one. scholarship too, Matt. You're arguing about one, players who got actually got in, scholarships. He got one in February because we treat we treated in-state kids worse than I think we were treating out-state kids. We were well, waiting to the no, last. We were trying after the top one or two players in the nation. That's what we were going for. Yes, the guy from Lincoln East. I would. I'd probably take the guy who's universally thought as one of the top linemen in the country. And you're also assuming that this staff is recruiting off of rivals' rankings. You're not acting like they're doing any of their own research or scouting these guys themselves. Maybe they didn't deem him worthy because he wasn't as talented or skilled or as developed as as, the, as Foster or Serral was. I mean, that you're, you're assuming they're going off of what rivals is telling them not. And, we're not, yeah. and we don't know that. And I'm that- sure that's not true. I'm that's, just saying that Nebraska like to... football is Nebraska football because of those in-state kids. If you don't have that, you're losing a major element. <laughs> well, and, and well, I don't think we're disagreeing that. with that, Honk. Can, I don't think that's that's, that's that our part, argument that whatsoever. Is, if, I love I love the fact that if we don't, if we if we talk about the '90s, if we talk about the times that we were at our best, talk, Dave, go for it. If if I mean I think Max's point here is, is interesting. I I I I think that if if we believe this staff is doing their own evaluation, that that they're not relying on rivals numbers, uh, they should have looked at these kids, and and they put them on a list regardless of location. And if Chris Walker wasn't deserving of, I mean, if they had a had a board of ten offensive linemen when they started that process, and Foster Sorrell was number one, and he was they he had us all the way through the top three, and they only had two spots to give or whatever, and until he said no, they didn't have something to give Chris Walker, who might have been evaluated and showed up in the you know next twenty. You know, but exactly. everybody else and probably already the only never reason got he's there. on that list. And how do you just like give it to Chris Walker because you know he's going to say yes six or nine months earlier, and you wouldn't have had the scholarship to offer Foster Thrill. if they did their own evaluation and they created their own board. They they have the right to say you know Chris Walker's not there yet, and the fact is until they get turned down by someone ahead of them and they're ready to, to and, and 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 they're like okay our best option is Chris Walker. He's he's not going to get this the scholarly yeah. uh, offered to him. I mean, I don't I don't get that, man. Uh, hey, I, I stand by everything I just said with those players. I'll go back to the nineties. <laughs> I'll look at those players. Hey, we're I'm arguing two different things, man. Yeah, but it's not like Dave's not making a point here. by this staff. Every one of them, they don't get all, they don't get scholarship offers until the last second. 
And I'm telling you, you don't, Nebraska, the last you second. need to be recruiting Nebraska first. That is a tenant Why? from Osborne. So, that doesn't even make sense because, because he said yes. Point, Honky, you McGuire, were saying you that Nebraska said, yes. football McGuire, should... McGuire, you talked earlier about how you believe in what Billy Devaney does in terms of his talent evaluation. I don't know that yet. I don't know him well enough. But I believe in what Bob Devaney said in terms of, of uh, talent oh, evaluation. Bob Devaney said you recruit your state first. You recruit and you recruit everything about that state first. You Overturn every single Bob rock. Devaney, and so what, I, no what I'm saying is, if we're going to go away from what Bob, Bob and Tom did, if we're going to go away from the Bob and Tom years, that's great. I love then the Bob I'm, and Tom I'm, show. I'm expecting yeah, what great. we did the last 20 years. I, I, what I'm, I'm saying, sorry, honky, 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 what formula. I'm saying, honky, they had a formula honky, that worked. They had a formula honky. for the 90s and the 80s. Uh, and they the had 70s, a formula for the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and it would have kept working if they would have kept here. That's what would have happened. What I'm but, saying is is that what you are saying is that we do recruit Nebraska kids differently. We should. We should recruit Nebraska yeah, kids differently. Yeah, that is exactly You're saying what that you're saying. We, saying should we should prioritize Nebraska them. Kids. We should recruit Nebraska kids. You were saying Phillips. we should prioritize them if they were being evaluated absolutely equally and you had the exact same score I would from some kid in California as opposed to some kid over Nebraska. You take the Nebraska kid. I, that, that's what you're saying. Is yes, we if, two things, if, if two kids are equal, I give that to them. This isn't something that started. By the way, this isn't something that started with Mike Riley. This isn't even a Riley no, discussion. No, I'm not, I can go back to, to Pelini and I can sit there and say, Agreed. "Why is you know our D line hasn't you know?" I, I mentioned uh, against Wisconsin, we were down to the point where we were playing Cameron Meredith at D tackle. So you know, where's our D line depth? Well, I can look at our D line depth over the last five years and go, "Geez, you have a guy like Drew Ott that leaves the state of Nebraska as a Gatorade Player of the Year, goes to Iowa, and becomes an All Conference kid. We have a kid like Harrison Phillips that." doesn't get a scholarship offer from Polini, not Riley, but Polini, until he goes to a UCLA and Stanford camp and gets offers from them, and now he's starting at Stanford. You know, those are D linemen. They're just playing elsewhere. You know, we've got players here, and, and every year I've heard the same thing with, oh, well, that kid, that Inglehop. If, but, if, Matt, that's nothing he was, new either. He was only going there, to we've Wyoming, had so why, do, why would we come go out of Nebraska him? that Nebraska didn't recruit? That happened what? under Osborne. That's not new. Yeah, but, it's true. Uh, Osborne. So let, let's move. I'm not move saying Osborne never current. missed on a kid. He missed on Ritter. He missed on Junior Bryan. He missed on Ty Good. He missed on he kids missed on too. Scott Frost. Missed, let's missed move on to Scott this. Frost. Let's, he also didn't move. miss on all those other kids I just mentioned. All right, let, let's move on to this recruiting Fair. cycle. And we were the only ones uh, recruiting would, some of those kids too. I would by the way, love to hear more about I, the spring game. Was a huge recruiting. There was no game. huddle in the '90s. And Sorry. Dude. Trying to keep order in the court here just a little well, I'm, bit. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I, and I bring up 90 stuff, and I look, I recognize things are different, too, and the, just the fact that there are more opportunities for those well, kids to get do. their names out there. Okay? I mean, you you can be out in yeah, Hyannis where Kalini was, it is uh, Keneally, and you can be on a on a huddle. I get that. I'm saying there which are Which is based in Lincoln, there. Nebraska. So Yeah. I'm saying there uh, are players, there are so players with, here. No doubt. Uh, so, in this year's cycle... Uh, Spring game, we have a huge list of uh, four-star guys coming in, 20-plus, I think. Um, a lot of them in the 2018 class. Uh, is there anybody in particular, Mac, that we should be looking out for? Spring game is uh, next Saturday. Um, just, you know, it's just it's a huge uh, well, recruiting weekend. You know, back to your numbers thing, there's 22, 22 four-stars coming in. And out of that, I want to say like 19 of those are in the rivals top 250, which we both just got done disemboweling. <laughs> well, you know, you know it's, they got to It's good. a frame. Of, it's a point of reference, but that's a that's a huge number for a spring game. And to me, uh, we could look at a few guys uh, that uh, Brendan Radley Hiles uh, Buki, 
that cornerback from oh, yeah. um, IMG Academy. He'd be a great Love guy uh, to get. I mean, as far as like a guy you can tell they've, they've put a lot of focus on, he's one that they've they've sunk a lot of time into. He should into. commit, right? I mean, I mean if- uh, it sounds like everything is leaning towards that. I mean, he... He throws the bones all the time, you know. Whenever they show video of him, I if mean, we don't just, get that guy, and, and we need to get him soon, he's he's a big yeah. Recruiter. It would be he's nice a, to get him in. Absolutely, in, we need to get him before and, he decommits and recommits and decommits another time. So I mean, that's oh, the important. Let's thing. play the we, let's we just dance the, the pledge dance, of, man. Yeah, that's right, these guys. That's right. I, but, you know, uh, like, but I, anyway, I hate talking you know, about individual the, the game players been... just because they're going to do that in the the, the oh, nature of recruiting. But yeah, it's so early. But I do agree with Matt there that 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 guy individually he. He seems to be one of those catalyst players that is important in recruiting he's, other players. KJ Keyshawn Johnson Jr. Um, totally. I mean, uh, and I, Matt knows this. Mac knows this stuff a lot better than I do. The individual guys that we're kind of going after right now. I I almost hate talking about individuals right now because of the the game of, of recruiting and how these guys come and go and 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 the the loyalty and the Jameer Calvin kind of stuff that just drives you up a wall. But mm-hmm. but you need to get those players early that are going to be the ones that are going to be calling and leading the group text and all the things that those guys do. Yeah. Yeah. It is a weird it's, social phenomenon now, huh? I mean, it's just it's just crazy how these kids get recruited and how they like they do everything, you know, all all through face chat and snapbook and all that sh- Oh, nice. The, the hey, speaking of, and... we are on all of those things, I think, right? We're on uh, Snap. We're chat at, time. At, at Go Big Redcast. So, yeah, you know, we're... That is uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so make sure you start following us, guys. We're, also, uh, we're on the Gmail. on Twitter. <laughs> Say it again, Mac. I said, I guess I should start following us on Twitter. I did not <laughs> yeah, you should follow that. your own show, man. That'd be helpful. Let's build up the well, numbers. cool. We can get cool. into the dozens. Well, Boomer's right, supposed to anyway, set that up, so I think it will be, you know, probably six months from now we'll have the... Right. You'll still have the bird icon. You'll be able to tweet at us at some point. Trivia time. Hey, guys. Uh, trivia question-wise, we talked about Bob Elliott uh, a while back. Uh, Little-known fact, or maybe a better-known fact more recently, that Bob Elliott is the nephew of Pete Elliott, former Nebraska head coach. He was only here one year. I uh, believe it was in the 50s. Do uh, you know what his record was? Any idea? Because Honky's, even before he was alive, remembers Nebraska football games. So, Could you tell me how many games we played that year? That would have been back when we were playing, I believe, 10 games. Yeah, 9 or 10. Eight? Is that right, Dave? 10, so, yeah. I have the number in front of me. We played t- and 10 total? 10 total. I was going to mention that you mentioned it, Dave, but I, I thought that he was a, he was a one-and-done. Yeah. Uh, which I don't uh, – I think we may have had one other one-and-done coach during that, that 1942-61 to 61 era. That was – for all the people who think the last 20 years were terrible, that those 20 years were, were That was the dark days of Those football were really right dark. There. I'll say one-and-nine, one and that is a guess. I, I'm going to guess – and between two of them, I'm gonna say four and six. Four and six. All right. Uh, when we come back from the next segment, I'll uh, reveal the answer. Hey, listeners, this is the Go Big Redcast producer Skip. Tip of the cap to all you. We hope you've been enjoying the first of many shows. So if you want more, please subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also listen and follow on SoundCloud. If you have any questions, comments, disagreements, or topics you'd like to see discussed or debated on the show, email us at gobigredcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media and follow along with the crew as they post and crack wise about all things Husker sports. 
on Twitter and Facebook at GoBigRedCast. And now, back to the show. All right, we're going to be wrapping it up here on the Go Big Redcast. Let's get that answer to that trivia question. So we heard uh, Max said one and nine. Is that right? For one and nine. Day? I don't think it went and, well. And uh, Honky, the Husker six. historian, asked, uh, said four and six. And guess who's right? Uh, Honky. Honky, four and six. Yeah. Uh, every record of... Every Nebraska football game ever played. I mean, the guy actually claimed to remember the uh, 1980 Sun Bowl uh, when he was about three years old. Um, and I, I, I believed him for a good couple decades. I remember watching the Sun Bowl. But I, I, I don't think he, he has memories of his three-year-old self that well. No, I told people no. I went to the 84 Orange Bowl. and, and Oh, yeah, really, I remember that. That, that was, was a good line. Yeah, so. That went on a that long time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but he did get that right. Four and I six. I kept Pete that Elliott. one going for decades. So, and Pete Elliott uh, later uh, left, uh, went to Michigan, uh, AD at Michigan, and hired this guy named uh, Bo Schembechler. So, did he uh, do anything there? Or was he? Was, was yeah, Bo I think Bo was, Bo was all right. I guess uh, better than our yeah. Bo. Um, but uh, <laughs> didn't want, you know what he didn't do? He didn't win a national title at Michigan. Uh, I can tell you that. So that's crazy because Michigan claims any title. So yeah. Yeah, they've got, like, 27 national championships. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Well, you know, uh, let's wrap it up this week. Uh, Good talk, guys. Uh, You know, next week is going to be even better because uh, we will have the spring game uh, on Saturday. Lots of stuff to uh, uh, digest there. Uh, Most importantly, how many people are going to be in the stands? Are we going to hit 80,000? You know, big things like that. Are we going to have recruits uh, commit uh, on site? How many Nebraska recruits? Um, Nebraska. Kids. What's the weather supposed to be like, fellas? You know, um, you Nebraska boys. Honky, you're the one in you, Lincoln. Honky, you should know. Yeah, yeah it'll, be, it'll be bright. With uh, all right. nice. All right, all right. That's good. Uh, no, it's gonna be a lot of stars in town. And it's not live on BTN. I think it's uh, four o'clock Central, three o'clock Mountain. Uh, that's three o'clock uh, Mountain. I think they're they're showing Mac like the Purdue Indiana '88 game. So you know we don't have time to watch. That is That's a wide, but... ratings getter, as they, they say. Oh, you know? So I think actually Ohio State and Michigan both had their games on before us. So I guess we're third tier on, on this one. Um, <laughs> we're th- we're third figure, tier be- behind those two, huh? Yeah, yeah. But um, looking forward to it. going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. And um, until then, that is the Go Big Redcast. GBR. Right. GBR. Right, fellas. GBR.